Thanks, Lori. Appreciate that. And thank you to you as a church body for your kindness, for your love, for the gift. And uh, truly, the staff loves you as a church. And I am so grateful for the staff that we have here and the opportunity to uh, really serve you, serve your families, love on your families, pray for your families, and care for you. And uh, really grateful for you. So thank you very, very much. I also want to say thank you to Pastor Gerton, who spoke Thanksgiving weekend, and then Nick, our student pastor, who spoke the last two weeks. And uh, so let's, uh, let's give them a, a round of applause. Thank you. It was good to have some time to listen to them and to breathe. And Dennis said that uh, Nick is becoming quite the little preacher. Um, he really is truly developing and developed and uh, love how he unpacks the Word of God. And the little part really doesn't work because one of the things I had to adjust this morning when I came back was the height of this. It was up here, and I am shorter than both Nick and Pastor, so, um, so I, that was one little adjustment here this morning. Now, uh, as I'm back here, I realized, you know, Christmas season is a good time to confess something, and so I need to confess something to you. It's probably nothing you've realized about me, you've not noticed, and so I just want to get it out there, um, and that is that, I, that, I'm, that I'm bald. <laughs> Did you know? I see you. I see you. Like, bald people, I, I see you out there. So it's all right. There you go. Let's get some love from the sound booth there with Wes, too. So I've realized that um, I have a superpower that goes along with my baldness. And it's like a cloak of invisibility because I've realized that many of you recognize me by my bald head. And I thought about this, and I wrote this last week, getting ready for this message. And then Friday night, I went to the basketball game at the high school and uh, walked in, and I was wearing my cloak of invisibility and said hi to someone, and they're like, oh, whoa, I, I didn't even recognize you. And let me show you what my cloak of invisibility is here. <laughs> I am not joking at all. I have walked past some of you in public, said hi to you, and you've kept going, or you've been like, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't even recognize you. And these are people that like me and normally acknowledge me when I look like this. So you may recognize me by my bald head, but I recognize you and others recognize you in another way. And that's by your eyes. See, sunglasses, I know there's a good function for them and they're important, but I dislike sunglasses. And this is why, because I know some of you have walked past me wearing sunglasses, and I may not have said hi to you, and I'm sorry. It was nothing personal. But when people wear sunglasses, I have the hardest time recognizing you. So if you ever want to hide from me, maybe like next Sunday or something, just come in wearing sunglasses and be like, I don't know who you are. I, can't, I don't know who all these new people are at the church. Is I look into eyes when I see people, and I recognize a lot of you by your eyes is, yeah, there's other recognizable features, but eyes are such a tell into the world of you, into the, my world. Jesus said something about our eyes. He said, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. Now, Jesus was teaching on prayer and fasting and worry and so much more when he said this. But he said something there that this, just the eyes can give this insight. And this morning and this last week, I've looked into a lot of your eyes and other eyes, and I've seen eyes that are energetic and excited and ready and just full of joy. 
But I've seen other eyes who are tired and weary and hurting and broken. And our eyes reveal much of what's going on with one another. And I believe God gave us this as this, this level of, of intimate connection. And what it is, is a lot of times we can look past people, especially if we're having a hard time with them, maybe a spouse or a friend or a child or whatever it is. You may be in the same space, but you may not be looking into each other's eyes because there's a level of connection that happens when you look into another person's eyes. And the eyes give us this insight, and our eyes are a gift from God. The eyes of others are a gift from God. Years ago, there was a gentleman who was part of our church here, and he passed away, and I only knew him in his latter years of life. And every time I saw him, he had this just this glimmer in his eyes. He was sick for quite a while before he passed away, but he always had this glimmer in his eyes, like, if you only knew my full story. And as I sat with his family preparing for his funeral, they told story after story after story of this individual. And I paused in there and I said, I get it now. I get it. This is what was this glimmer in his eye. This fullness of life that was there, even though the body was, was deteriorating, this glimmer that was there. And this Christmas, this Advent season, we've been walking through a series called Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. And there's a hymn in the early 1900s that was written by Helen Holworth Lemel. And she said this, she said, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. There's this pausing, this looking upon Jesus this full look in his face, not this looking past Jesus or even looking at Jesus. It is this full look into his wonderful face, as she wrote. And what she was describing was all the things beyond Jesus, they start to, to grow dim. They fade away because we really see the glory and the grace of Jesus. And this is true for us today. We can look at Jesus or we can even look like through Jesus or past Jesus. Like, yeah, I know Jesus. Yep, I believe in Jesus. I trust Jesus. But we may be focusing on everything around Jesus, all the things that are swirling in your world and in my world and the world beyond us. But our encouragement this season is not for you to do more, to take on more, to give more, to serve more. These are all really important things. But our encouragement to you is to look at Jesus really look into his eyes, to look at his wonderful face of who he is and to pause. Because we all know the busyness of the season, or as Lori mentioned, both the joy and the grief that can come with it. And so as you walk through this last week here before Christmas, as you go to gatherings and services and as you give and as you serve, as you interact in relationships, as you celebrate, as you encounter disappointment. The encouragement is, is not to just focus on all those things that are around Jesus, but to really focus upon Jesus. When we look into the Old Testament, we see a people who were looking toward the coming Messiah. Isaiah wrote about 700 years before Jesus. He said, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
About that same time period, the prophet Micah wrote words that says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrata, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come one for me, one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. And so many people were looking forward to the coming of Jesus. They were looking toward this Messiah, including two individuals that Lori read about this morning, Simeon and Anna. And so I invite you to turn back to Luke chapter 2. So we'll look again at the words from Luke. Beginning in verse 22, it says, When the time came for purification, writes, required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him, being Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. So as we saw the last two weeks, that Mary and Joseph, they not only listened, but they obeyed. We see their faithfulness, their obedience. And something to note here is that they were required to go, and they went. They were required to be purified. They did. To consecrate Jesus to the Lord, they did. To offer a sacrifice, they did these things. They were faithful, they were obedient. They listened, and they did. And their faithfulness not only impacted them, but it impacted others, as we're going to see here in just a moment. So if this was a movie scene, we would be watching Joseph and Mary bring Jesus to the temple. And then the camera would pan over, and we would see Simeon. Verse 25 says this, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout, and he was what? He's waiting. We love to wait, right? best thing in the world. We love to wait. No, not at all. Very few of us love waiting. Christmas time, I mean, as a kid, waiting was the worst. I remember especially Christmas Eve service. I'm like, please hurry up. Let's go home and go to sleep because I want to get up on Christmas day. Waiting was the worst. And waiting is hard. Waiting is difficult. But life demands waiting. Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel, which means this like rescue, this comfort from sorrow. Now, he thought it was political deliverance, along with many other people. That's why Jesus was mistaken again and again for this political reformer. Remember Habakkuk that we sat in for a couple months? That Habakkuk told that there was this coming exile, this, this coming response because of their sin. And this was an exile to Assyria, an exile to Babylon, and then the Persians came and ruled, and then the Greeks and the Romans, and it progressively was worse and worse and worse. And finally, the people returned to Jerusalem. They're like, this is it. This is going to be great. This is going to be wonderful. It's going to be like it was with King David and Solomon. But the glory was not there, and it was this great disappointment. So they were still waiting. They were anticipating for a long time. And so I ask you this season, what is it that you're waiting for? What is it that you're anticipating, that you're longing for? What is that thing that's before you? Is it relief of some sort? Is it healing, physical, emotional, relational? Is it simply hope? Is it salvation? Maybe there's a loved one that you've been praying for. 
Is it help of some sort? Is it restoration that you've been longing for? Simeon was waiting. Scripture continues, it says, the Holy Spirit was on him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Think of this, just for a moment. Generations had been waiting for the Messiah, and Simeon is told, hey, you're going to see the Messiah before you die. We learn in Scripture that he was righteous and he was devout. He lived according to the law. There's this promise given to him that you're going to see the Messiah. Last week, Nick talked about how Mary and Joseph, they listened and they obeyed. Now, this week, we look and we see with Simeon and Anna, people who believe, and they're called to wait in that belief. And we have no idea how long the waiting was. And for you, you may have been waiting for years or decades, whatever it may be. Or maybe today or this week, you started asking God for something. There was this longing, this thing. And you may be waiting for days or weeks or years to come for that answer. Anna and Simeon, they believed and it demanded waiting. And we see in verse 27 that in this waiting, it says that he was moved by the Spirit and he went into the temple courts. There's this tap on the shoulder, this little nudge, this push. Hey, go. Go. Some of us in our waiting, whether you've been waiting or starting to wait, what you're waiting for is this flashing sign from God of like, here it is, here it is. Like God shouting, this is your sign. This is what you're waiting for. Here it is. And you know what? Sometimes God works that way. Sometimes God has this radical life-altering moment and we go a different way. But I would say and even argue more often than not, it is in every little choice we make along the way that God's working and he's shaping and he's molding us bringing us to points where we're at. Go to this place, talk to this person, send this email, make that call, go talk and work on this relationship, go forgive this, offer this, 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 this. These little nudges, these little prompts, and I have ignored many of them in my life, and I know you've ignored a lot of them in yours. You've also responded to them in your life, and I have as well. Some of these nudges may require great bravery, Some of these nudges may ask you to step outside your normal rhythm of life. Some of them may ask you to do something where you're like, what? No, thank you. But other ones may be very common. They may be within your rhythm. They may be understandable. And the point is to be available as you wait. Because I'm guessing that Simeon went to the temple courts before that day. And I'm guessing that he did that many different times. He went, he went, he went, he went, and he went again. I was thinking back to moments in my life where I responded and I listened and maybe like an impactful moment. I remember when I met Joanna, my wife. We were in high school, college age. We were counseling at a camp, a Christian camp. And at the end of one of the weeks that we were counseling, I had met Joanna. I talked to her a little bit we decided there was a group of us, a large group of us counselors that wanted to go and get ice cream just down the road. So we went and got ice cream, and we were there. I was hanging out with friends and talking, and, and I noticed Joanna sitting off 
on a bench crying. And I thought, oh, that's uncomfortable. And then I had this like nudge of, you should go over and talk to her and pray for her. I'm like, what? I hardly know her. This is, that could be awkward. Uh, yeah, I was just at Christian camp, but should I go pray? And then I had this like thought of like, well, that would make me look like a pretty impressive, uh, impressive Christian guy, right? You know, she's pretty cute. Not my most like holy moment there. But that's probably what motivated me ultimately to go, right? And so I went over and I prayed with her. She shared what was going on and, and that was it. And some time went by and then we reconnected down the road at some point. Did that make an impact on the rest of my life? Maybe. Maybe it's something that was marked in her mind and my mind and our hearts. Maybe that brought us to this point today. Maybe not. But in that moment, it was this nudge, this go and do. And ultimately, my life has been changed because of her. Simeon was moved by the Spirit. He was stepping into the moment he'd been waiting for, but he had no idea. Verse 27 continues, it says, When the parents brought the child Jesus to him to do for what do excuse me, Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all the nations, a light for the revelation of the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. This is the moment he had waited for since the Lord implanted that in his heart. He didn't know it going that day. He just had that nudge, just go. And he stepped into that moment that the Lord was preparing. We never know when that moment is. When I was in college, we, had a, we took a mission trip to Newark, New Jersey, and we went to the small inner city church in Newark. And the pastor was talking about Jesus's temptation. How the devil kept tempting him, kept tempting him, wanting Jesus to give in to that temptation to avoid the calling that was on his life. And near the end of the sermon, he read verse 11 from chapter 4 of Matthew. The pastor said this, he said, Then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. And I remember the pastor saying, The devil's trying to distract devil's trying to push, trying to push you away from this ultimate calling. And how many of us have been right on that edge where we have been waiting and anticipating and like, all right, I feel like this is what I'm supposed to do and where I'm supposed to be, and I'm right on this edge, and then we give up. Because we think, maybe God forgot us. Or maybe I didn't hear correctly. Or maybe I did something that made God mad at me and he changed his mind. And I wonder how many times Simeon was at that point too, as he waited. Maybe I didn't hear God correctly. Maybe it wasn't really me. Maybe, maybe I did something wrong. And I remember that pastor of that small church in Newark saying, don't give up because those angels may be right there to attend to you. That may be that moment like Simeon that you step into what the Lord has been calling you and directing you toward your whole life. Don't give up now because the Lord is faithful to his word. Simeon, in Luke 2, he stepped in that day and he realized it and he held 
the Messiah, the Christ child in his arms. And his response was one of peace. Just peace. Sovereign Lord, he said, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. Simeon still had the same life situation, the same realities, but he held peace when he encountered Jesus. Peter wrote in 2 Peter 3, he said, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is what? He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So Peter's talking about salvation here. But he's also talking about the attribute of God that is true in salvation and other situations. That we may feel that God is slow. I've been there. You've probably been there. You may be there right now being like, I don't understand this. Peter says that he's patient with us. There's a work that's unfolding, being done in us and through us and around us. He's patient, not slow. Patient. There's another character that the, the cameras would pan to, and that's Anna, verse 36. I'm guessing that she may have thought at times, too, that God was slow. Verse 36 says, There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, in the tribe of Asher. She was very old, and she lived with her husband seven years after marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. So let's do some math real quick here. In that time frame, a woman would often be married at the age of 16 or so, somewhere around there. It's likely that Mary was about that age too. So if we do this, we add seven years. That's putting her there at uh, 23-ish, right? And then she was a widow until she was 84. You got 60 years of being a widow. I'll guarantee this is not the life that she dreamed of, desired, or asked for. I think she pictured something radically different. Like, should she ask those questions of God? What is, what is unfolding? What is happening? And it says she never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. She went to the Lord. She fasted, she prayed, she worshiped. She waited and she found rest in God for these 60 years. St. Augustine wrote in his confessions, he said this, he said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Augustine had this realization that in all his restlessness, and if you read confessions, you see that he went everywhere. He tried all sorts of things, lived all sorts of different ways. He tried it. He's saying, we're gonna be restless until we rest in the Lord. You may have this list of things that you need to accomplish or cross off or, or do, and you think, once that list is done, then I will be at peace. Then I will be at rest. There will always be a list. There will always be things. There will always be realities in the world around us. Like Anna, like Augustine, it's just resting in the Lord in the middle of that reality. It's locking our eyes on Jesus, looking full into his wonderful face. Everything else starts to fade when we lock into someone else's eyes, specifically the eyes of Jesus. 
Verse 38 says, coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Whereas Simeon found peace when he met Jesus, Anna praised and she shared Jesus. About our hearts, minds, our eyes locking into Jesus. Jesus said in John 15, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, it'll be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. What Jesus is saying is, remain in me. Let my heart become your heart. Let my eyes become your eyes. And then you'll be fruitful. This is where joy is going to be coming from. This is where peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control, where gentleness is gonna come from. Just resting in Jesus. The late Tim Keller in his book, Prayer, he said this. He said, God will either give us what we ask or give us what we would have asked if we knew everything he knows. See, God loves you, loves me so much. He's gonna be like, yeah, absolutely. Or I have a better reality. I have a better plan. We're called to turn our eyes upon Jesus to look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. In 1 John, it says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us. I love this. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. I just picture this just outpouring, rich outpouring, the love of the Father that we should be called children of God. And that's what we are. It's not stuff, it's his love. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. See, the story's not done. The story is not finished. Anna and Simeon, they were waiting for the coming, the first coming of the Messiah, the Christ child. They laid their eyes upon him, recognized the peace, the rest, the praise in him. But our story is not over. There's a second coming. Jesus is coming again, he promised. We desire everything to be right and whole here, and that is a godly desire. In fact, that's what Jesus taught us to pray. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Where? On earth, now, as it is in heaven. That's our job, to walk through this now, locking our eyes on Jesus, responding to Jesus, and everything we do, looking at him and overflowing from that. But the story is not done, that story is still being written, that Jesus is coming again. And as we wait, it's not passive waiting like, uh, anytime now, please. It is active mission. Jesus said, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus is like, be on mission. Be on mission. Make disciples, baptize, teach. 
I'm with you. I'm empowering you. So this week, when you're in school, when you're at work, when you're at home, when you're at Christmas gatherings, when you're with family, when you're with friends, when you're by yourself, when you're shopping for food or shopping for gifts, you're panicking over something, when you're disappointed with something, when you're frustrated about something, when you're excited about something, take that moment to turn your eyes upon Jesus. Be reminded of the love that he has for you. To be reminded of that peace and that rest. I want to close with this passage from Isaiah. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. We will. He won't. And his understanding no one can fathom. Here comes his part. He gives strength to the weary. He increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord, whose eyes are locked on the Lord, who will renew their strength, they will soar on wings like eagles, and they will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Let's pray. Jesus, May these words be true. God, your words are true, but may they be true as we open ourselves to you. May we look full on your wonderful face. May we keep our eyes on you. Lord, in whatever this week brings, Lord, whatever situations we walk into or around, Lord, whatever gatherings, whatever uh, loneliness, whatever joy, I pray in those moments, God, your spirit would just tap us on the shoulder to remind us of your love, to remind us that you're still working. God, that we're not alone. And so Jesus, we wait, we anticipate, we trust. Lord, we thank you for Anna. We thank you for Simeon. We thank you for your word. And Jesus, may you be glorified as we walk through this week. Lord, thank you for your example. Lord, thank you that we get to walk in your light. We pray this in your strong and powerful name. Amen. 